From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. People misunderstand leadership. There is a dramatic misunderstanding of what it means to be a leader and how to lead. And what we're talking about today is radical leadership. And I'm excited because you're going to hear from the person who leads me uh, in, a, in a business standpoint. This uh, man, Henry Bedford, is the CEO of the whole Southwestern family of companies, of which Southwestern Consulting, right, our company is one of them. And so this is the person who leads me and our, uh, you know, my fellow partners at Southwestern consulting on a, on a daily, you know, monthly basis when we meet and we, you know, present our financial statements and we're making decisions and we're setting strategy for the future of the company. And I'm, I'm excited for you to, to see this perspective. And, and afterwards, I'm going to share with you seven affirmations of leadership, seven leadership affirmations that came from another one of the uh, great Southwestern legends and, and, and men in my life, Spencer Hayes, who um, sadly passed away a few months ago. But um, these seven basic things that, that he did every single day, and I'm going to share those with you after you get a chance to learn from Henry. And then at the very, very end, I'm going to share with you probably the single biggest insight that I ever, ever had about leadership in my own personal life. And I'm going to tell you why for a very long time, I wasn't a leader, and what day I actually finally became the leader, and what day in your life you either will will have already become a leader, or you will become a leader, and it is probably different than you think, and I will give you a hint. It has nothing to do with the day you get the title, or the promotion, or you know the new compensation plan, or et cetera, et cetera. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's, it's much more radical than that, and um, that's what we're talking about, radical leadership. So it's a powerful show. You need to share this with anybody that you know who is any type of leadership role. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern Coach, Go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. I am so excited and honored to introduce to you somebody that you have met, you just don't realize that you have met. This man has directly shaped and influenced my life in such a huge way. And 
in uh, both personally and professionally when it comes to you know my views on leadership and and building businesses and building sales organizations Henry Bedford who you're just about to meet is the CEO of the Southwestern family of companies so last week we had Dan Moore who's the president of Southwestern Advantage as you know that's the program I worked in for five summers and uh, while I was in school and then Southwestern Consulting of course our company is one of a suite of, of companies that are owned by the Southwestern family. And Henry is the CEO. So he is my boss. He is my in, investor. He is my partner. He is my mentor. He's my counselor. Uh, I would consider him also to be one of my best friends. And uh, he's a, he is has very radical philosophies. And that's what we're going to talk about today is radical leadership. So Henry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Such a pleasure and honor. I, I appreciate being on. So uh, for people who don't know, I mean, uh, a lot of people do know, you know, my story of selling books and Dustin, and we've had AJ and Dave on the show and Dan last week. But um, can you kind of describe, how would you describe the Southwestern family of companies? What would you, how would you tell somebody what that is? Well, I think it's a, uh, it's a group of direct sales companies. uh, And by that, I mean, companies where a person is presenting to either a group or an individual face-to-face or virtually to, uh, to help solve a problem, help them achieve a goal, and sell a product or a service. And uh, the Southwestern family of companies uh, grew out of the student program that you made reference to. And over the course of time, we've had a standing offer to our top uh, uh, people that, that uh, have experienced alumni from the Southwestern program that we will join them to start any business they're interested in as long mm-hmm. as it meets the uh, goal of being something that's, that serves other people and helps enhance their lives. And as long as it's not illegal or immoral, we'll, <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, when I think of Southwestern, I think of those two things. I'd say, you know, we we sell, right? We're direct sales. We love sales. We believe in sales. That is like we do direct sales and then we help people achieve their goals in life. And it seems like all of our companies would would, would fit into. So that's, uh, that's interesting. So I, one of the things that I've always thought was really radical, like one of the very first things, you know, I went to, uh, I, obviously I know you have an MBA and I went to grad school and I came up through a leadership program in college and it was all about, you know, getting a big job and a corner office and a big title and, you know, making a, a big salary. And a lot of the people I went to school with, they did that. And then I remember meeting you for the first time. And over the course of the first couple of years, when we first started the business, um, you have a pretty different philosophy, I feel like, about titles and corner offices and stuff like that. Can you just kind of, what's your view on titles and, you know, those kinds of things? Yeah, I, I think that I would say that uh, my philosophy and what I'm drawn to I think because of my Southwestern experience is that I think of myself as a partner of the people I work with instead of a boss or an executive or a CEO. Uh, One of the things uh, when I was uh, brought into this position about 10 years ago that I determined I wanted to do is instead of having an office up on the top floor of the building, which actually was a corner office, uh-huh. I, <laughs> I put my office on the first floor of the building and I, because I wanted to be on the ground floor with the people. My office has a windowed, a mirrored uh, windows where the, when people are practicing their sales talks, uh, getting ready to go out for the summer in Southwestern, I can see them knocking on my window and practicing. Uh, I have an open door policy where 
Um, if anybody comes into my office, even if I'm in a meeting, if it's a student or a salesperson, I, I want to be interrupted and I instruct my folks to do that, uh, to be accessible. So I, I, uh, my comfort zone is to be a, a partner and a servant to the people. And I, uh, I, I think it's somewhat of the philosophy that I picked up at Southwestern over time is, is to not have a, a great interest in building a, a, a big hierarchy but I think of our companies more like a circle of partners and that we work together and we each do work and we, we help each other. So, so, so why? So what, like, cause I wonder if, so some people might go, well, well, don't you need a hierarchy? People need to know who the boss is. Doesn't someone need to have the final decision? Doesn't, doesn't, isn't there value to a clear chain of command? Like what, what would you say to that? I think there is a, a value to a chain of command. Uh, and I, and you know, in fact, for instance, in my role, I am the person here where the buck stops. Uh, I think it's a matter of focus and emphasis, and uh, and also mindset. That I, my jo- I feel that my job is one where I need to partner to create solutions and participate. Uh, the other reason is that over the course of time, I've engaged in consulting pra- uh, projects, and also I've uh, I've shared best practices with other companies. And one of the things that I noticed that really disturbed me along the way was that it, it seems that is is that the more layers that you have in a company uh, between the leadership and the people, the less the leadership is engaged and in touch with the reality of the business mm-hmm. and what the real needs are. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, I, I purposefully have held our uh, board meetings to a half day. Uh, three times a year instead of two days, four times a year, the way it used to be, because I found that the more a bunch of people sit in a room and talk about stuff without being close to the action, the more off base they get if they if they have too much time on their hands. Yeah, I remember one of the things you taught me early on, as you said, usually the person the the person who knows how to solve the problems is the one that's within five feet of the problem or some, something like that, right? That's right. All problems are solved five feet away from where they start, meaning that if you have a problem, go 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 find the people that are real close to it, ask them what you think you need to do, and then just do whatever they say. And you'll usually mm-hmm. come out come out right. So you mentioned the meetings. So that's another thing um, <laughs> that I think you know we've had dialogue about is is you know how much meeting is the right amount of meeting uh, you know on the on the one end of the spectrum you get a bunch of people pontificating in a in a room about crazy ideas that they know nothing about on the other end of the spectrum you have no meetings there's no clear communication nobody the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing so uh, where on that spectrum would you say that you landed over the over the years of uh, you know, starting various businesses. And those of you that are listening, just to give you context. So we, we basically have like 14 kind of core companies at the Southwestern family. And, you know, I guess was it, it was really 1982, Henry, there were, there were only like a couple back then, right? That's, that's right. So uh, in uh, really in the late seventies, we started, uh, we started uh, advancing the idea of partnering with uh, our alumni to build companies. And then it's grown from there. Uh huh. So, so talk to me about meetings, right? Because I'm sure you've, in the course of you know building dozens of companies and lots of different industries, uh, you've probably seen the pendulum swing to we never have meetings, nobody talks to. We have meetings all the time, and and where have you kind of landed on that? But, yeah, you know, I guess probably like everything, it's a matter of balance, and then also the types of meetings. Uh, I think the most productive meetings 
uh, where you would probably want to spend several hours on end or maybe a couple of days would be where you're where you're where you're you're on the ground with an issue and the people in the meeting include people that are in the action and you're working through to solve problems. Uh, the kinds of meetings that I think need to be held shorter uh, would be the ones where it's it's more uh, you know a senior level getting together to make sure that there's that we don't have any fires we need to go put out and that type of thing. Uh, and 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 so I, I would say it's a balance, uh, uh, but uh, but uh, again, you know, I, I think that uh, having uh, I think at the senior level, maybe having shorter meetings and uh, and uh, having uh, enough frequency to where you you make sure the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. Uh, but yeah, so I, I would say it's it's a balance, uh, but with a bias uh, against. Uh, uh, spending a lot of time one on one in a room with somebody mm. talking through stuff. I, I'll give you an example. I when I came on board as CEO, I found that my predecessor, Ralph Mosley, had he had seventeen direct reports, and he had a half a day meeting with every one of them uh, once a month. So you add that up, and that's a you know that's a roughly a week out of the month that is spent uh, g- going through one on ones. And I, man, I, I just found that mind-boggling from the standpoint of holding me back from things that I needed to be doing. So I, I, I didn't do it. I, I didn't do that. There are a lot of people that I work with where I only have my maybe semi-annual or quarterly meetings. And mm-hmm. but what I do to replace that interface is I go into their area and I pick something up and I start working with them, or I hang with them for a while and I. I watch the action, and I and then and we have constructive dialogue about what's working and what's not. Sometimes they're little five minute, ten minute touches. Sometimes I'm I'm there for half a day, but I'm not I'm not tied to a you know to a, a blocked calendar where you're away from the action talking about mm-hmm. stuff that's happening somewhere else. I'd rather I'm more of a visual person, so I'd rather watch the action. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You, uh, one of the another thing, and there's so many things that I have learned from you over the years. But the the uh, another one that comes to mind, just as you're talking about this, the more you talk, the more I'm reminded of like, oh yeah, I learned this from you, and learned this from you, and learned this from you. You uh, tell tell us about your show me. You you, you those are two yeah, of your favorite I, words. I, show those me. Those are two magic words. In fact, I I think they're so valuable that everybody listening to this podcast that hears this next part should should put 50 cents in an envelope and mail it to you because uh, <laughs> this is uh, I found over time if you're if you're if you're in a situation and you have somebody that's flustered and upset about some problem that developed and they start describing it one thing I came across uh, kind of through trial and error over time that I found to be magic and that is instead of well tell me what the issue is is to say show me what the issue is show me what you're talking about and it doesn't matter what it is. Like I'm, uh, boy, I'm uh, really upset with so and so. They did this, that, and the other thing, and so on. And uh, whatever the topic is, I always say, boy, that's I empathize and listen and say, can you show me what you're talking about? Sometimes they say, well, what do you mean? I don't have anything to show you. I said, no, you gotta, you gotta have something you can show me. And what that does, it, it instead of us sitting across the table talking about a concept. We're sitting on both sides or the same side of the table looking at facts metaphorically. We're, mm-hmm. we're starting to look at stuff. And the facts usually gets your feet on the ground. It helps you understand what the reality is. And then when you have the facts, you can start defining a solution. And it's usually very easy. So show me instead of tell me 
is uh, those are two magic words that I that I use over and over again uh, to uh, with 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 great results. Yeah, and I, you know, look at the facts. Like just show the like get to the facts. I think the uh, uh, seeing you do that, I've been I've been on the receiving end of that <laughs> several times, and I think it's I think it's it's really wonderful. I y- y- um, there's another in the spirit of this kind of conversation of like resolving issues and resolving conflict. You know, I think about Southwestern Consulting, and most of the people here probably think it's like, oh, it's this big hunky dory family, right? We're we're growing so fast, and we're reaching all these clients and doing these wonderful things, and and uh, you know, we get to hear from Dave and Dustin, and uh, but behind closed doors we often get into very heated discussions we've have, we have we are all have very strong opinions and uh, I, I, there's a phrase that you have used from the beginning of time it's not about it's not about who's right and so can you can you f- say the phrase and complete it and then it's not about who's right and then explain what that means yeah it's uh, the phrase would be i don't want to be right i want to be for what's right and and what that means is that uh, my view on this is something that I that I have right now, but I'm that's not important to me. What's important to me is to find the truth and what the reality is, and I'm all for it. Uh, so I don't want to be right; I want to be for what's right. And mm-hmm. uh, you know that also is uh, it goes hand in hand with the with the show me approach because when you get into looking at real stuff. Uh, I found that the deeper you dig into the reality of a situation, the farther you get away from the emotions when you're looking at facts, and everybody starts to agree all of a sudden. Uh, you know, nobody would think that black is white and white is black, but sometimes when you get into emotions, you almost take positions like that. So when you get into looking at the details, you you start to coalesce around the fact that, yeah, that's those facts are, are pretty clear in terms of what they're showing us. And um, and then it it, it uh, gets us away from the emotion of, you know, I, I, I've got an ego and I need to be right here because otherwise I'll be humiliated or I'll be shown to be wrong or whatever. So uh, it's it's uh, I, I don't need to be right. I need to be I am for what's right. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean that is uh it's amazing how emotional we are as humans uh but the getting down to the facts. So um so it's on that in the vein of facts um one of the things I think, uh, so your background is accounting. Uh, that's not, I mean, that's kind of where you started, sort of came up and you, you have an incredible financial acumen. And, uh, I mean, I learned how to read a financial statement from you. I had never really ever looked at one until, you know, you taught me how to go through and look at, look at, certain things I don't want to say, but uh, the, uh, what are some of your financial philosophies or some of your financial practices, um, both with startup companies, since you have so much experience starting up companies, and then also what are some of the best financial practices that when you think of, uh, like managing some of the larger, more established companies, uh, in terms of maybe like the habits that like, if you're just starting a company, here's some of the things you need to do. If you're working with a more mature company, here's some of the things you need to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, you know, we have had a lot of experience with startups, uh, all but one of these companies in our group, well, all but two actually were startups that in my lifetime we we started. And uh, I would say, uh, contrary to some of the things that you see out there, 
you know, typically think people think in terms of creating a, a big, thick business plan, going down to a bank or in front of a bunch of investors and getting them to buy into it. You get a uh-huh. ton, you get a ton of money, then you go out and you start spending it, and you you go big and you go fast. Uh, our philosophy has been: uh, uh, look, if you want to start a business, you want to go into real, real estate, Pat Roach, uh, with Southwestern Real Estate. The first question is: okay, what's your sales talk? So go develop a sales talk. Uh, and then also, what's the product we're selling? Let's make sure that we understand it and we have technical training. So Pat went and got a co- had a course in, in, uh, in the technical side of uh, real estate and got his license. And then the next thing was, let's go get a customer. And then let's go get two customers. And uh, so we start uh, uh, with just the fundamentals. And that is uh, a sales talk, a product, uh, a, a service that you can serve people with. And then, uh, and then you go out and you do it in a small way. And then you get better at it. And uh, so in our startups, we, we actually invest very little capital on the front end. In some cases, it's necessary to put large deposits down. Like when we started Family Heritage Life Insurance, we had to put in like a $3 million uh, reserve and that type of thing. Uh, but typically in our startups, it's create a, a track to run on. And so that's what I just described is the leader creating a track to run on. And then you uh, then you figure out how to you make sure that you put everything in writing and you develop manuals and, a, and evidence of what you did. And then you begin leading others to do the same thing. So we believe very much that our leadership uh, comes from the from the ground up in southwestern companies. And that uh, a big part of a leader's role is to lead by example, be the lead salesperson, and then bring others in. Uh, the one thing we have our eye on constantly in a startup is to make sure we don't run out of runway. Uh, you know, with Southwestern Consulting, for instance, we were underwater for a while. We had a bunch of people, and we didn't. Uh, we didn't. We've have... talked about that before here. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I took a lot of heat too at our in our board level to say, hey, how much money are we going to invest here? Uh, and uh, so you got to be careful and make sure that you remind yourself how much money you've spent on a cumulative basis. Uh, sometimes you lose sight of that when you just look at each year's P&L. Uh, so keep your runway long enough. Make sure you don't run out of cash and start simple and small. Go through the learning curve uh, small so that when you make mistakes, you're not making big mistakes and wasting millions of dollars. And then mm-hmm. scale it from there. I would say for more mature companies where it's big, it's growing, it's been around for a while, uh, the key thing is to always, always have the discipline of going deep into your financials on a monthly basis at a minimum. And then also have a management by exception philosophy where Hmm. you determine what the parameters are that are acceptable. Good news is if they're running on the parameters, you don't have to spend a lot of time with it. Uh, But always know what those critical factors are, which for our businesses would be if recruiting is down, if profits are dropping off, if expenses as a percentage, if A&G as a percentage of sales gets over, climbs over 10 percent, those types of things. And uh, have those red flags, have a deck of material that shows your answers to those questions real quick. And and then it gives you a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. I think of the management by exception rule. And I also... uh, I wrote a blog article about this a while back, which I cited you as, you know, the way that you set up those financials is always compared to something. You always said, you know, data by itself is worthless if you don't have something to compare it to. So that's that's you know, cur- that's right. And specifically, uh, you never want to look at numbers where you're not comparing it to your plan and prior year. 
always want to be benchmarking against those things. If it's just plan, you can lose sight of the fact that your plan was kind of goofy. If you're just comparing to prior year, you're losing sight of your vision, and neither one of those things is good. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to financials, you know, we talked about starting businesses. Um, one of the things that is most unique about the Southwestern is our equity opportunity and the equity plan. And it's, it's a very unique kind of structure. And I think a lot of times, you know, entrepreneurs or people who are used to like, you know, big Fortune 500 companies, they, 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 they almost have a hard time kind of understanding it. So can you just give us a few minutes on how the equity structure works and, and why it is what it is and a little bit like kind of how it came to be? Yes, I sure can. You know, our, our company was a, was a family-owned business and an owner-managed business for decades and decades and decades, starting in the 1850s. But uh, in, uh, in uh, 1969, our company uh, was sold to Times Mirror, uh, and uh, we, uh, we had a wonderful run of 14 years, uh, wonderful exposure to a Fortune 500 company leadership. We were, they were very autonom- autonomous in their leadership style. Uh, but then in 1982, it became clear that uh, for reasons not related to Southwestern, they needed to raise capital. And so they decided they wanted to sell the company. We had the opportunity with the leadership of Spencer Hayes, myself, Ralph Mosley, and a team of people uh, of negotiating with Times Mirror to to have an owner uh, purchase, an employee purchase of the company. And uh, Spencer Hayes put in virtually all of the capital. But, <laughs> but out of his personal generosity, but also the example that his manager had taught him years ago when he had had a chance to buy some of the Times Mirror stock, he uh, he wanted to be in business with partners instead of employees only. So we developed a uh, plan. A lot of people won't remember this, uh, but I got out a 13-column accounting pad, which is uh, the old version of an Excel spreadsheet today. <laughs> we mapped out a 20-year vision. We identified the people that were movers and shakers and making a difference. We decided we wanted to have a merit-based equity plan that went broad into the company to where Anybody that was was creating value at our company would have the opportunity to own an appropriate, proportionate share of the business. So today, we have over 500 shareholders in our corporate family. We're entirely employee-owned. And it's a. Uh, we also put another feature in, and that was that when somebody retires out of the company, we always exercise our first right of refusal to buy those shares back, if at all possible, because we want the lift in the value going forward to accrue to the people that are here doing the work instead of some, you know, some old folks clipping coupons. And that has had a wonderful boosting impact to the equity value uh, over time. Since 1982, we have distributed over $240 million in checks out to people for stock redemption and dividends. Say that number again. Yeah, actually $244 million. And uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of exciting stories. There are warehouse distribution manager years ago that retired, uh, uh, retired a millionaire. Uh, with his stock and profit sharing. And mm-hmm. uh, nothing's cooler than to see something like that happen. And very much appreciate the men- mentorship of Spencer Hayes to realize that it, you don't have to own it all. And as, as time has gone on, I, you know, I, and uh, you read, and you read books, et cetera. John D. Rockefeller never earned more than 30% of Standard Oil, yet he became the, the wealthiest man in history. 
And so I think the philosophy of sharing equity, uh, and, and Rockefeller also used equity as a way of, of recruiting people into his business and buying companies and, and, and trading, swapping stock. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to have a group of partners that have a long-term vision. It dramatically lowers your turnover, and it gives you a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a group of very solid uh, career-minded people. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. I mean, even it's just, it's really, really uh, amazing. And, um, you know, uh, I think it's, it's unique and there's so much power in the idea of you don't have to own a hundred percent of us, you know, it's better to own a 30% of a huge pie than a hundred percent of a small pie. And there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's powerful to be in business with partners and not employees. And that's, I think it's a it's a it's a unique message these days in the world of entrepreneurship, and so the, um, one of the last little questions that I wanted to ask you, uh, I have two questions. But, but one, I just want to take advantage here of a of a complete shameless plug that will be a totally biased opinion, but but truly in some ways it is unbiased. Which is you one of the ways you got on the ground floor with Southwestern Consulting in the last year is you became a coaching client of ours, and of course one on one sales coaching and one-on-one leadership coaching is our core business and our core offering. And here you are the CEO of the family of companies that started the coaching company. And you're, you're an actual paying client that gets two calls a month with one of our coaches. And I'm just curious for your, how's it been going? I, I tell you what, it's, uh, this also sounds like a plug, sounds like an effort. <laughs> uh, but, but actually, it's been transformational. Uh, the way that came about was I'd, I'd like to get on the ground and understand what's really happening in the business. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm vi- visual in my learning and experiential. So I said, I'll just get a coach. Well, it turns out that some of our younger coaches in their mid-20s, lots of experience, 10 years of sales experience, very, very strong people. Uh, but they were having difficulty signing up uh, older people because of the obvious, uh, hey, why, why should I be coached by some young person? So I, uh, I selected a coach that was uh, uh, in her actual uh, late, uh, mid to late 20s, very sharp uh, alum of Southwestern. But here's what happened when I found this. And I would, I would encourage this for anybody who's an older guy like me or a CEO of a company or a leader uh, that was the best thing I ever did. Uh, you know, you think as time goes on that you you remember that you're following the principles. You pretty much feel like you know everything. Uh, I am telling you, it is a wake-up call to be coached by somebody who recently has done 30 presentations a day, is currently mm-hmm. uh, setting up workshops and and uh, and 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 cranking crank and moving fast. Uh, it it is a uh, it has gotten me on a schedule of of not only coming up with what needs to be done, but getting on a schedule of actually doing it on a day to day basis. Uh, it it also has stimulated my thinking. It's helped me solve problems better. And uh, I would say the match between uh, uh, you know an older veteran like myself and, and a young uh, energetic coach is is absolutely uh, fantastic. The other thing too is that we you know, our company is made up of salespeople. It gives me a great window into the realities associated with what's going on on the ground with with our salespeople because I'm being coached by one. So uh, great, great experience all the way around. And I'm, I'm probably never going to get out of coaching. I'm, uh, as long as I'm in my career, I'm going to continue to have that uh, 
accountability partner and that confidant and somebody to talk to that I can bounce things off safely uh, to, to get advice and counsel and to solve problems together. Well, I'm going to go ahead and email you one of our 20-year uh, commitment contracts uh, right after this and get your credit, your your banking, your checking account and for just to make sure. Um, so I knew this was going to go so fast. I mean, it's there's so many rich, rich lessons here. Um, really quick, I know I kept you longer than, than you have to go, but your job description of yourself, you have five things just a, a checklist that you say, this is how, if I had to boil my job description as the CEO of you know, several hundred million dollar organization, you can you just rattle off the list for us really quick? I, I will. It's uh, I keep it real simple and I, I have five things that I focus on and nothing else. And uh, the first one is vision. I feel like I need to, I, I need to curate and I need to establish uh, uh, the vision of our company, the long-term vision, five-year, 10-year, 15, 20-year vision. I feel like my other job is to attract A-plus people. I, I spend a lot of my time recruiting and networking. Uh, uh, my other part of my job with people is that I, uh, I need to mentor them to, to where they are strong leaders and, and to teach pr- principles of leadership. Um, the fourth thing is to be in the details. So I remind myself that on a regular basis, I need to be into the details. And that's where I have a bias against meetings and more ones of being out on the shop floor. And finally, it's to be a problem solver. Uh, problems come up in the business. They get elevated. And uh, I have a lot of fun with the idea of getting into a situation where we look at the facts and we get together as a team and we solve the problems. So that's it. That's all I do and uh, and nothing else. And uh, and then I measure myself against those uh, to see whether I'm making a, an A, B, C, or D in, uh, in each one of them. Yeah. Well, Henry, I am uh, one of the reasons I have stayed, one of the biggest reasons I have stayed at Southwestern all these years is to have the opportunity to be directly mentored by you. I don't it's been so rich and rewarding and to, to, to watch you live out these things and to not lead by throwing a title around, but getting on the ground floor and getting with the people who are, are, are in the day to day and getting into the details. It's, it's, it's very radical and it's very different from a lot of the things that actually that I've read in books and even learned in formal education. And I just, uh, you know, thank you for that. And, and thank you for your influence uh, that everybody that's everybody that is listening to this right now, they would they simply would not be listening to this podcast if it if it weren't for you. Well, thank you. That's real humbling, and I uh, have so much respect for you and and your accomplishments. And I'm I'm honored to be on your on your podcast. Thank you. I am so happy to get to share Henry with you. And uh, you know, unlike many of our guests, he's not somebody that you would normally hear from. He's not somebody that's out there trying to raise, uh, you know, attention for a book or to build a company or anything like that. He is somebody who is just a servant behind the scenes trying to, to make things happen. But he has so much knowledge and wisdom uh, because he's he has worked in both the public sector and the private sector, and uh, you know we have companies that are several hundred million dollars, and we have companies that are just starting out. And he has been through sales and acquisitions and all different industries. And so I I just I thought it would be so rich for you, and it and it, it was for me even to go back through and 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 get some of these refreshers on what I really think is radical. Uh, it's radical leadership, and and. 
hopefully what you sensed there is just this this consistent magnetic draw to go where the action is to to be on the front lines to get hands in the dirt to to solve the problem where the problem takes place to to let the people in the field make the decisions and to drive decision making downward and outward and and to let the people who are actually doing the work every day be the ones who make the decisions for the business, not the people who sit in the in in some ivory tower or some boardroom. And it's like that's the thing about leadership, right? Is it it doesn't happen in the back office. Leadership doesn't happen in the ivory tower. Leadership doesn't happen, you know, in the in the boardroom. Leadership is in the front lines. It's in it's your hands in the dirt. It's making things happen and getting things launched and solving problems and issues. And that is it's a different way of how most of us even think about leadership. Like a lot of people think, oh, I want to be a leader so I can stop working. And that is like the complete wrong backwards way of, of thinking about it. Um, sometimes people think of leadership as, oh, I want to become a leader because I want people to work for me. I want to be able to tell people what to do. And that ain't it, right? Like that ain't it. Leadership is about you working for them, Leadership is about you helping them. It's about you looking out for them and solving, helping to solve their problems. You're working to remove barriers from your team. And the whole you know, hierarchical structure where the leader's at the top is, is really, in my opinion, screwed up. And it's, it's backwards. And, and if anything, you should flip that upside down. And it's like the leader is in service of the team who is in service of the customer. It's like the customer, if it's a hierarchical structure, the customer is at the top and we're serving the customer and our team is serving the customer and then the leaders are serving the team and then the the executives are serving the leaders, right? So, you know, that is backwards of how I think most people think about it. But if, if I had to draw a hierarchical structure, I think at Southwestern Consulting, I would actually draw it as circles, which Henry mentioned. And we have, we've talked about that um, for several years about how it's, it's more like Knights of the Round Table and we operate in circles rather than in lines. But if I had to draw a hierarchical structure, the customer would be at the top then the team members who are serving those customers would be next. Then you have the leaders serving the team members, empowering them to serve the customers. And then you have maybe the executives who are serving the leaders. But in general, I mean, Henry is not a fan of, of middle levels of management. <laughs> he's just not. And uh, he's, he you know, works to shorten the amount of space between the customer and the people making the decisions always. So it's it's a very flattening of the organization. And uh, anyways, I thought in terms of a debrief, um, you know, I wanted to share with you some of the um, affirmations, the most popular leadership affirmations. These are seven leadership affirmations that came directly from the desk of Spencer Hayes. And uh, you heard Henry mention Spencer. I talked a little bit about Spencer when he passed away a few months ago. Um, Spencer was the executive chairman of the Southwestern family of companies and um, a an, an incredible servant. And he was the man who basically financed the purchase of Southwestern back from Times Mirror in 1982, making us private again. And 
instead of owning all the equity himself, he created an equity plan where all of the salespeople and the leaders of the various businesses could get equity and change the future for all of us. And so that is... um, what I wanted to highlight for you, and here they here they are. These are right from the desk of Spencer Hayes, and actually these are a part of our uh, Manager's Edge coaching curriculum. So this is right out of one of our modules. Uh, we have you know twenty four modules that we take our coaching clients through, and we have a we have a sales curriculum, we have a leadership curriculum, uh, it's a sales management curriculum, and we have uh, automated revenue machine, which is this sort of new uh, CRM and lead generation digital marketing curriculum. Um, you know, so we have different coaching curriculums, but you know, as you know from listening to the show, one-on-one coaching is what we do, and and this is this is a one page out of a out of a thirteen-page module that I'm going to just share with you, and this is right from Spencer's desk, and um, it said things that I can do as a leader. Number one, always make people feel appreciated. Number two, always make people feel like they belong. Number three, make people feel that what they do is important, that they count, and that they make a difference. Number four, help people develop a vision for what they can become, what they can achieve, and what they can have. Number five, help people develop specific goals with pay values and plans attached to them. Number six, help people develop competency related to sales, products, and the technical aspects of the business. Number seven, always make sure people know that I believe in them. And all of these things need to be done over and over again forever. Those are seven of the leadership affirmations from, I guess, the person that you'd probably call the, you know, kind of like the this generation's original leader of the Southwestern family of companies who is who mentored Henry. So the man that you just heard from uh, was directly, uh, you know, mentored and under the direct tutelage of Spencer for years and years and years. And uh, in some ways, I guess their relationship was probably very similar to how mine and Henry's relationship is and how the other senior partners um, uh, and Henry are, uh, are connected and, and, so I, I wanted to sh- give you those affirmations, and I didn't want to add much to them since they come directly from Spencer. I just wanted to let them sort of stand on their own. But um, I did want to share with you one of the biggest insights that I've had in my own personal life about leadership, and specifically about the very day that you become a leader. Because when people get into coaching with us, sometimes they think, oh, I want to be a better leader. But in a lot of cases, they find out that actually they haven't really been leading at all. Um, they have been you know, performing certain executive or management functions, but they really haven't been leading. And that's one of the, the best parts of, of when we coach people is watching this transformation take place, not only in their skill set and their teaching them functional things of a leader, like a leader has to know how to recruit. They need to know how to run recognition. They need to know how to run meetings. They need to know how to, how to interview people and how to select people. And they need to know how to fire people. And they need to know how to onboard people. And they need to know how to create a training plan for people, right? Like those are all these, these sort of executive skill sets that, 
you almost don't learn anywhere. It's like you don't learn them in college. You don't. It's like you maybe pick them up from reading books. And some companies have better thing, better training programs, leadership programs than others. But that's why a lot of times people get into leadership coaching is because they are they need they they're learning. They're wanting to learn those those functional skill sets. But really, leadership extends far beyond the functional skill sets of what a leader does every day. Leadership is as much about the mindset and the mentality of the person who is quote unquote in charge. And that's why I wanted you to get to hear directly from Henry. Henry really is the one that is really, really, really in charge. Um, And, but you see his mentality is not one of I'm the boss, I'm in charge, I call the shots, you answer to me. It's, It's the opposite of that. And, and that is the leadership transformation that needs to happen. That is a radical leadership transformation. And so the day that you become a leader is the day that you become more concerned about the well-being of the people around you than you are about your own. Leadership doesn't mean that you have all the right answers, doesn't mean you have the best strategies, or that you know exactly how things are going to turn out. Leadership is, is simply means that you are going to be looking out for the best interest of the people who are going on the journey with you, of the people who've been placed in your care. Leadership is not about having people work for you. Leadership is about identifying a group of people for whom it is worth working for. Leadership is not about leveraging other people's talents for your gain. It's not that. That is not what it is about. Leadership is about creating opportunity for other people that is is bigger than what they might create on their own. But it's it's not about them slaving away for you. If anything, you should be the one slaving away for them. You should be the one serving their interests, trying to eliminate barriers for them, trying to solve problems for them. And whether you're a brand new leader or you have been leading people for decades, the only real thing that you need to focus on to be a great leader, to be the person who deserves to be in charge, to, to be the one who carries the responsibility and the privilege of caring for other people is to use your talents and skills to pave the path for the people around you and to look out for their best interests and not yours. And for some parts of my life, I have actually carried the title of being a leader, but I, it's not a title that I deserved because I was filtering everything through the lens of how it would make my life better, how it would make me more money, how it would bring me more notoriety, how it would help me accomplish. And during that time, I wasn't a leader. I was merely an orchestrator. I was an executor. Maybe I was a manager. But the day I finally became a leader is the day that I started evaluating decisions based on how they would improve the lives of other people. When I started to look out for them and not just myself, when I started to look out for we and not just me, when I started to look out for the team, that was the day that I became a leader. And my guess is that it is that same day that you also will become a real leader.
Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.